classmates. And so we had to work together. And as long as we fully participated together, then we would get an A. And so I told him, I will do all the work and you do all the speaking. And that way we fully participated and I don't have to talk in front of people. Uh, And sometimes God asks you to do things that make you uncomfortable uh, or that go outside of your comfort zone, but that's a good thing. Uh, God calls us sometimes to walk onto the water and just have faith, even if it's scary. And so I love, I love, love, love the opportunity to share God's Word with our students, uh, with anyone, whether they're willing to listen or not. So as we worship God this morning, uh, as we think about communion, as we think about what's going on in our lives, we want to just focus on what He's done. So if you join me in prayer before we jump back into Romans. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for the opportunity we have week after week to gather together to worship You. That we are in a, a place that we can come safely together. That we can share the truth of Scripture here. That we have the opportunity to have fellowship in musical worship and the study of Your Word. And Father, we can do that together as part of Your body. And so Father, as we gather together this morning to study Your Word, I ask that You speak to our hearts. uh, That You would use me to share Your Word. That it would not be about what I say, but about what You are doing and have done and what You say in Scripture. And so Father, this morning, I pray that You just stir our hearts to an attitude of glory and honor for You. You created us for it. You created us to bring You glory. And so Father, our actions and attitudes and heart this morning, I pray that that's the case. And so Father, as we study Your Word, as we study Your Word this morning, I pray that You stir our hearts. You stir our hearts to go closer to You. You stir our hearts to share You with those around us. And Father, we just, we love You. And we praise you this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to share a little story uh, about my family. And I want to preface with, I love my family very much. And I'm I'm not talking about Jenny and Josiah and baby boy number two. Uh, Are you good now, Ben? (laughs) He's not even in here. Uh, But my family, I grew up in a very large family. Uh, we, I don't even know the number of like cousins I have. That's how large we are. We, my mom is number seven, eight, one of those two of 10. Uh, so I have cousins that are 60 years old already. Um, and so there's a large gap in my family. And one of the things my family did really well when I was growing up was we gathered together all the time. Like if it was a holiday, we were having a party. Uh, Now, and by holiday, I literally mean if it's on the calendar, for any random reason, we were having a party for it. And and I remember enjoying that and being excited, and I loved the opportunity uh, to to be there. And I was always sad if if, uh, my parents were divorced, and I was always sad if I had to go to my dad's and there was a party going on. 
uh, because I had lots of cousins, I had lots of aunts and uncles, uh, and we all gathered together, and there was always delicious food, and there was always a good time. And it was just, as I grew up, I remember thinking, this is, this is good. This is what I want in life. And then at some point, my grandfather passed away, uh, and we stopped going to church. And we stopped going to church because my grandfather was the patriarch of the family, and he required everyone to go to church. And even as they were adults, they obeyed that request. And then I realized we went to church and we knew about God, but we knew of God. We didn't really know what God had done. We didn't really understand that. It never took hold in our hearts. And so as I went to high school, I began to develop a relationship with God that I'd never seen before. I actually put my trust in Jesus and understood His death and His resurrection and what that meant for my life. And I began to change. And I talked a little about that last week and how it hurts me if my family didn't see that in my own life. But I began to change and there became a point when I was in college and uh, they had a family reunion and it was actually in Minnesota, which is where I went to college. And so Jenny and I were able to attend and it was during the summer and I remember sitting there and the whole family was really excited because they had finally compiled like our family history. And it went back a long ways. Uh, our family in Poland and what they were doing and how they lived and all of those things. And I remember them being like, all right, this is how much it costs. And I'm thinking, all right, I, I need to find 10 bucks so that I can have this because I think this is important. And Jenny and I sat down and we get, began to read it. And I began to realize something about my family that maybe I never had truly thought about or understood. So we read and we opened it. And we just saw devastation. Divorce, 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 divorce. Remarriage, divorce, divorce. Drug overdose, alcoholism. I mean, it was all in there running rampant through my family. And I remember sitting there thinking, I don't want this. I don't want this book. And I don't want this for my family or who I am or what I want to do in life. And so as I was thinking about that I, last night, as, as I was preparing, I actually thought about, I hope in like a hundred years it comes out and they get to me and they're like, who is Boye? Who's that? Uh, but they get to me and they see my line and they see something that has changed and they see a total difference as they get to me. And I would love to see that in all of my family, but the reason for that is not because of anything I have ever done, but because of what God had done in my life through Jesus. And, and so it saddens me to think about my family in that way, but, it, but there's so much excitement and celebration because of where I've come. From where I'm at now to what I look back on, what, what could have been if I never met Jesus. It is scary, and it's saddening, and it's saddening to think about because I love my family and I want them to know the love of God like I do, and I've shared that with them on many occasions. And so we're we're at a point in our story here. We're continuing that thought. How big is what God is doing and has done, and how should we react to something like that? 
because I have seen it in my own story. My piece of God's puzzle. And so this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, verses 6-8. through If you would read along with me. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a perfect passage as we take communion this morning. As we jump into this Scripture, I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus. I want you to think about your relationship with God. And, and I'm going to talk about a few here. So I want you to see if you fit into any of these categories. And if not, find out where you fit. Because I want you to think about, as we talk about God's Word this morning, where you're at and why that matters. See, maybe you're here this morning and you know of God. And maybe you only know of God because for the past like half an hour we've been singing about Him and I've been talking about Him. And maybe you saw it in your Bible as you picked up a Bible in on your way this morning. And that's it. You don't really have a relationship with God. You don't even know what that means. That's a weird concept to you. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you've been in the church a really long time. You've read the Bible. You've heard what it says. You've sung songs. You've participated in things that you think are weird. But you're like, I don't have a relationship with Jesus and I don't necessarily want one. Maybe you're there. Maybe you have been walking in faith for a really long time. However many years, whatever that may look like. And maybe you feel like you're on a stationary bike and you're working really, really hard and your faith is going nowhere. And you're like, God, what? What, what's going on here? Maybe you're new in your faith. Maybe it's something that you, Jesus has come to you recently and you're super excited about what's going on and what he's done and you want to just tell everyone about it. And, and if you're the, fir- the category before this and you're like stuck and you see these excited people, you're like, they need to calm down. Uh, but maybe you're, maybe you're there. Maybe you're new, but you're like, I don't know what to do. Like I'm excited I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. I don't know where to start. I want to I get involved in all of these things, and that's great. Or maybe, maybe you're in a sweet spot right now. You have a great relationship with God. You're excited. You're seeing God working in your life. You're becoming a better disciple. See, sometimes what happens in Scripture is we, is we talk about Word and is we teach it properly, meaning in the context of what it is, every passage does not address every person. But this is one of those passages that in the majority of Romans addresses every person. This is a passage that addresses you, whether you have a relationship with God or your relationship is so on fire doing all kinds of amazing things with Him. So this morning, I want you to imagine your relationship and what that looks like and how this three verses may have an impact on that. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, this passage talks about us 
at some point in our walk in life. Wherever you're at in your relationship with God at this point right now, this entire section talks about some point in your life. See, Paul calls us four things here. He calls us weak. He calls us ungodly. He calls us sinners that if we cheat a little and skip into what Pastor Joe will preach on in a few weeks, he calls us enemies. So we have four things that Paul calls us. Weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. See, as we walked this earth before we had faith in Christ, death and resurrection, these are the four words that Paul describes us as. Every person that has ever walked the face of this earth, this description holds true to them. It holds true to who they are. So wherever you're at now, if you're in a great place in your relationship with Jesus, or you've never met Him, I want you to understand and hear the encouragement Paul has in these three verses. And the guidance that he is giving. I know maybe it's not encouraging to hear that maybe at some time or right now that you're weak, ungodly sinners and enemies of God. That's probably not the most encouraging thing to hear. But Paul speaks of it as encouragement. Of understanding, it's just all, it's the same reason we take communion once a month is to remember what God has done. So while we were weak, so what's Paul mean by weak? Now, I know some of you, if I said to you right now and looked you in the eyes and said you are weak, would be super offended. Uh, whether you're a guy and you're thinking of how strong you are, or you're uh, very independent and you think about how amazing you are. All right, those things might actually be very true. Uh, but you might have been a little offended. You might have felt, I'm not weak. I've never been weak. I can do anything I want to do. I can do everything I put my mind to. But the truth of what Paul is saying is not about our physical strength or our emotional stamina. It's not about those things. It's not whether we can complete a task. Our weakness is spiritual. We at one time were so spiritually weak that we could do nothing. And our weakness was our inability to save ourselves. We couldn't do it. No matter how good you were, no matter how good you tried to be, no matter how many donations you made or times you said sent out good thoughts to people on Facebook, none of that is good enough. It's not good enough to change the reality of where we're going. We are, we are spiritually dead and unable to rescue or resurrect ourselves in any way. Paul in Ephesians says, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. This weakness is beyond just being physically or emotionally weak. It's, it, we're dead. Paul calls us dead. God in the garden told them if they disobeyed Him, they would die. And they didn't understand that. And so they were led astray. We were struck with our sins and our failures, and those very things were killing us. As we sat there, weak and frail, God in His might and strength provided the only possible answer to rescue us. The only one. There's only one way to God. He sent Christ to die for us. While we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. 
I want you to understand the magnitude of all of this. I want you to be encouraged about wherever you're at in your walk right now. I want you to be encouraged because Christ died for the ungodly. While we were incapable of doing anything, Christ did everything. He came into this world. He gave up his role of honor. He became a servant. He humbled himself to obedience and died a death, death worse than any other death in the history of the world. There was nothing more humiliating or painful than going to the cross. He did this for us because he knew we could not do anything for ourselves. And we need to imagine that as God created us to bring him glory. And in that creation, he began a plan. He did this for us because we could not do anything. And as we get closer, closer to our Easter celebrations, we continually look to the cross and the resurrection. I want to remind you. All right, I want to remind you of that. I don't know what Pastor Joe will talk on on our awesome. We have a lot of services this year. It's very exciting. Uh, but I don't know what Pastor Joe will preach. I don't know where God will lead him. But I want you to remind you of Christ going to the cross this morning. I want to remind you is what He did on behalf of weak, ungodly people. As Christ was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was taken to court and found guilty by his own people. He was mocked, tormented, beaten. He was beaten with one of the scariest things that I could ever imagine. They call it a cat of nine tails, a whip that has nine throngs off of it that have nails and glass in it. And after they beat him to the point of death, which they had this down to a science. This is the crazy thing about the Roman Empire. This was a science to them. They knew that at 39 lashes, people could survive. But that 40th one, that 40th one did him in. So they beat him to the point of death. And after that, they took the crossbeam of the cross and made him carry it. Carry it to his own death. And then as they drove the nails through his wrist and his ankles, as they hoisted him into the air, in those moments, he didn't call out in hate for the ungodly. He didn't call out in hate towards those who have sinned. In that moment, Luke says, he called out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Christ's darkest hour, he wanted forgiveness for us. He wanted to obey his Father in heaven. It's not something we could achieve. I physically couldn't go through that, let alone actually save someone because of it. If you think about the amazingness of what Christ did in our weakness and ungodliness, look again at something I skipped over in verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time at the right time Christ died it wasn't when the Jews picked it or the Romans decided it was going to happen it was when God had planned it God had planned all along since our rebellion in the beginning and Jesus knew all along since our rebellion in the beginning that at the right time in the fulfillment of God's word and his prophecy and his plan 
that he would die for the ungodly. See, we serve a God that seeks after the weak and the ungodly and that is constantly at work in their midst. But why would Christ die for us? Why would he? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. As I was reading commentaries and articles about this uh, this section, I came, kept coming across the same little story. Uh, it's actually a, all over the place. If you Google it, you can find all kinds of articles written about it and the historical facts of it, but it, it was at once in the Daily Bread. So if you read the Daily Bread on a regular basis, maybe you've come across this story. But it's about a preacher <clears throat> named Peter Miller. Uh, and Peter Miller uh, was a friend of George Washington. And one day, Peter heard that one of his neighbors was being tried for treason and found guilty and was to be hung. And as Peter thought about his neighbor and what he'd done and who he was, he realized that there needed to be grace in that situation. So he walked 60 miles in one night to speak to George Washington himself. And he began to share on why George Washington should pardon this man. And as he talked with George Washington, George said no. He said, no way will I pardon your friend. And Peter was like, wait, he wasn't my friend. He was my worst enemy. And because of that, because of George Washington hearing that grace offered in that situation, he pardoned him. And see, this neighbor of Peter Miller hated him because he was constantly teaching Scripture and demanding that people live a Christian life. And this guy hated him for it. And he walked 60 miles to stand before the president to demand his pardon, to offer grace and mercy. The cool part about this is I read on and I was reading different articles. What happened was historians are still wondering why George Washington pardoned people that he pardoned. And a lot of them draw back to this story because he saw a different type of grace Peter Miller exerted huge sacrifice, traveling a great distance and calling upon a real friend for the cause of a neighbor who hated him, who was a condemned criminal, who was guilty of treason. See, Paul, Paul wants us to understand here what Christ is truly doing, and he wants us to plainly see it. It's not confusing or some out-of-the-reach thing here. He wants us to understand it because He wants us to see it in our own lives. Christ did something that other people are not willing to do. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that every single person in this room, that they have 1, 10, 20 people in their life, probably more than that, that they would be willing to die for. I have no doubt in my mind at all. I have no doubt in my mind that, that you would be willing to die for a family member or a close friend but how many of us are willing to die for an enemy? A person that hates us for what we believe as we speak truth about Scripture. How many of us would be willing to die for someone that hates us, that wants to change the culture around us? Because that's what Christ did. 
See, as sinners, we wanted our culture to be sin. And Christ demanded righteousness. Repent and believe. Those are the qualifications for a relationship with Him. Every person He talks to throughout His ministry, those are the two things He says to them. Stop sinning and come follow Me. Stop sinning and believe in what I'm doing. That was the requirements that Christ laid out. But how many of us would do that? See, while we were weak and ungodly and sinners and enemies of God, Christ did that for us. He walked way more than 60 miles. He stepped down from heaven. So where does that leave us? Why, why should we think about that? Why should we process that? As we're, as we're thinking about our own relationships with God, how should we look at that? And we go to verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, verse 8 is one of the most well-known, one of the most well-known passages of scriptures, but not, not for people outside the church. This is one of the most well-known passages of scripture for those that like to go out and share the gospel. It's part of what we call Romans Road. Five verses in Romans that walk through the gospel. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, and Romans 10.9 and 10. If you ever want to share the gospel, you can do it right there with those five verses. See, it's, it's such an important verse. And it, it's so important that we understand what Christ did. But God shows us love. God shows us love while we were sinners. What type of love? And that's important here because the word here is agape. The word here is agape because here's the thing. We love lots of things. We're trying to, Josiah says he loves all kinds of things and we're trying to teach him, no, you like that. You enjoy that. All right, but we love, we love, I could say I love pizza. All right, which might be somewhat true. Uh, I do really like pizza. Uh, I could say that, but that's not this type of love. I could, you know, maybe in high school or dating times, you think, I think I love you. All right, that's not the type of love either. It's not the type of love. It's not like clicking the little heart on Facebook instead of the like button. All right? That's not the type of love that God has for us. Even though maybe that's, you like that button a lot now. All right? It's good to click. Oh, I, I like this more than I actually like it. All right? Uh, maybe that's the case. But that's not what agape means. Agape is something beyond our understanding, I believe. It's a commitment to do all to care for a person, to seek them out when they are lost, to walk with them when they cannot move, to pursue them. That's the kind of love that God has for His creation. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, God through His love since creation pursued us. Pursued us to the point of laying out laws to call us to holiness. Pursued us so much that at the right time, Christ would come to offer His life to those who deserve, who deserve, and I want to make this clear, and Paul has, who deserve justice and death. A love that would sacrifice all so that we could have all. I believe that oftentimes we, we look at Scripture and we, we see Scripture as us getting to find God. Uh, we get to find God in Scripture, and that's somewhat partially true. 
Maybe we, maybe we do it like this. We begin to place ourselves within the stories. I don't know if you've ever done this, and I'm not trying to offend you if you have. Uh, but maybe we, place, maybe we look at our life and whatever struggle we're going on, going on, and you're like, I am David, and this is my Goliath. This, this issue's big, and if I go to God, he can handle it. All right, maybe we do that with Scripture. And, and to be fully honest and clear with you this morning, that's really a poor interpretation of Scripture. We are not David. That's not designed to show us in those kind of situations. The Bible isn't really about us finding God. The Bible is about God finding us. It's about a God who created us. Who loved us so much that in the midst of our sin, He began His plan to pursue us. And He pursued us by having a people. And through that people, He made His name known. And He set up laws to draw them to His holiness. God's laws aren't meant to prevent you from doing fun things in life. I know that that sometimes is how people look at God's Word. They're meant to call us into a place of holiness. They're meant to see exactly what Paul says here, that we're weak sinners, ungodly, and enemies of God. They're meant to say, you are those things, and that's why you need Jesus. See, God pursued us unrelentlessly, unwavering, even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our struggles, even wherever we're at in life, God pursues us. I, I've heard this oftentimes as I've talked to people about where they're at spiritually. What's going on in your life? And they're like, I believe in Jesus and God and I believe the Bible is true, but there's no way that God would save someone like me. You're missing the point. And that's why I want to encourage you wherever you're at and you're walking faith right now is the point is that exactly where we're at is exactly where God pursues us. So if you're at a great place in life, God is going to continue to pursue you there. If you feel like you're stuck and not going anywhere, God is coming to you and talking to you. If you say, I don't know God, He is speaking to you. And I know that because He, he had me share this word with you this morning. He is a God that relentlessly pursues with unwavering love. Even in the midst of our sin, our weakness, He sent Jesus to step down out of heaven to give up His place of honor. For those of us that put our faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, we are no longer weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God, but we are justified and at peace and have access to God's glory and love. We should rejoice and celebrate. As I look at my family, there's a great bit of sadness. There's a great bit of sadness because I want them to understand what I've come to know to be true. I can't prove God scientifically. Historically, I could probably do it, and, but spiritually in what He's done in my life, oh man, oh man, there's, there's a reason I stand up here today. There's a reason that I went into ministry to walk beside others to teach because I'm excited. Man, I'm scared for our youth. I'm scared for us as adults because we live in a world that's full of sin and weak, ungodly sinners. But I'm excited because our God is bigger than all of that. And your story... Here's the cool thing. Last summer, we 
invited all of our youth leaders to share their testimonies. And this is how you can go out and share their story wherever you're at in your relationship with God. But here's the thing. This is what I always tell people when they're going to share their stories, their testimony. It's not your story. You're like, well, it, I was in it. You are in it. And that's true. But here's the thing. Our testimonies are about not what we did. They're about what Jesus did in us. And so as you go out, as you share your stories, you talk to people about your faith, as you're sitting there this morning, and all maybe all you know is that Jesus died for the weak, ungodly sinners at the right time because God loved us. If that's all you know, you go share that with everyone you can. Because otherwise, otherwise they remain enemies and ungodly and sinners and weak. And so as I end this morning, I want to give you a little encouragement, a little spoilers, probably a couple months from now, so you may forget. Uh, Roman, I'm going to read a little of Roman eight, Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wherever you're at in life, whatever place you're at in your walk and your journey with God right here and right now, that is a promise that stands the test of the time. When you put your faith in Jesus, nothing, nothing can separate us from that. That unrelenting, unwavering pursuit of our lives continues all throughout it, even in the midst of our greatest struggles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I thank you for the opportunity to do life with these people in this room. Uh, we get to be part of so many amazing ministries so many amazing things and as we walk through our lives as we have a relationship with you sometimes we struggle sometimes things go bad sometimes we find ourselves in a rut sometimes we want to know more about you and don't know how but father this morning as we sing this last song together as we've worshiped you this morning i just want you to encourage us i want you to, to excite us for those ministries and what we're doing in our families and in the church. Not because of what we've done, because of what you've done. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that at the right time, Christ died for us. At the right time, your time. So Father, we just we pray all of these things in your name this morning. Amen.